Section 14 of Some Haunted Houses of England and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Nash. Some Haunted Houses of England and Wales by Elliot O'Donnell. Section 14. Harley House, Portishead. The Black Antenna. Technical form of apparitions, poltergeists, or elementals. Source of authenticity, first-hand evidence. Cause of hauntings, unknown. The following account of a haunted house is taken from the diary of a gentleman since deceased. The narrator was the owner of the house, and being a professional man, asked me to give fictitious names, lest the publication of the story should be detrimental both to his practice and to the letting of the place. Before I commence my story, he writes, I think it expedient to state that both my parents are dead, my father having died many years ago, and my mother quite recently. The latter had lived to the very ripe age of ninety had possessed an unusually strong will, was a most devout Roman Catholic, and took the deepest interest in everything that concerned our welfare. She had two peculiarities. One, a strange aversion to children. Two, a positive loathing and dread of black beetles. The house stands alone some thirty yards or so from the road, and is well concealed from view by a high brick wall and numerous trees. There are four bedrooms upstairs, two on either side of the landing, which for clearness I will number, viz. Number one, occupied by my wife and I, number two, my sister Mary's room, number three, my sister Joan's room, number four, the spare bedroom in which my mother died. The top story consists of two attics inhabited by the servants. January 1, 1906, we first became aware of the disturbances, violent knockings being heard about midnight on the walls and floor of room number four. On hurriedly entering it, we could discover nothing, but on leaving the room, the noises were repeated and kept up till two or three in the morning. January 5, a recurrence of the disturbance, only much louder. January 6, having a carpenter who makes a thorough examination of the wainscoting, and reports no traces of rats, mice, nor any other animals. January 10. Tremendous knockings again in room number 4, the door of which is swinging to and fro violently. A loud clatter on landing as though half a dozen children were engaged in the roughest horseplay. The uproar terminates in a terrific crash on the panel of number three door. Joan rushes out of her bedroom thinking the house is on fire and sees a strange green light some six by two feet long moving across the landing. It disappears in room number four. January 15. We are all awakened by a loud crash and on reaching the landing find a big black oak chest from the coach house lying there on its back, everyone much alarmed. February 1. My sister Mary awakened at midnight by feeling something tickle her cheeks. She puts out her hand to brush it away and encounters something cold and scaly. Her shrieks of terror bring us all into her bedroom. There is nothing there. February 3. 
my wife and I are aroused by feeling our bed gently lifted up and down, and on my getting out for a light, I tread on something indescribably disgusting. It feels like a monstrous insect. February 4. The knocking very bad all night, particularly in room number 4. February 5, 6, 7. Ditto. February 10. The clothes mysteriously taken off Joan's bed and transported to room number 2. February 15. Both servants undergo our experience of February 3. February 16. The knocking still continued and distant sounds heard as of someone coming upstairs and turning the handles of all the room doors. February 17. Scufflings on the landings and in the passage as though caused by a troop of very noisy children. February 19. Knockings in room number 2. The washstand and a heavy mahogany wardrobe moved some feet out of their places. Mary, who was awake at the time, saw the shunting of the furniture, but could detect no sign of any agent. March 1. About 8.30 a.m., after Martha had laid the breakfast things, she went downstairs to finish a cup of tea. On her return to the breakfast room, she found it in the wildest state of disorder. Chairs overturned, ash pan and front of grate removed to furthest extremity of room, all the pictures taken down from the walls and laid face upwards on the floor, and the cups, saucers, plates, knives, and forks piled in one heap in center of table. All this had been done without either breakage or noise. Terrified out of her wits, Martha rushed upstairs to our door, and nothing would induce her to enter the breakfast room again alone. March 3. On returning home about 10 p.m. from our neighboring town, we found the servants sitting huddled together, half dead with fright, in the kitchen. They had heard knockings and the most appalling thuds ever since we had gone out. And on entering our room, number one, we found it in an absolute turmoil, the bedclothes in a promiscuous pile on the floor, the duchess table turned round with its face to the wall, the pictures ditto, but nothing broken. March 15, awakened in middle of night by three loud crashes in room number three, after which we distinctly heard our door open and someone crawl stealthily under our bed. We at once lit a candle. No one was there. March 18, knockings in both the attics, the servants badly scared. March 21, as Joan was running downstairs about midday, she received a violent bang on her back as if someone had hit her with the palm of their hand. She came to my study in a very exhausted condition, and it took her some minutes to recover. March 24, found my mother's shoes, which we were certain had been locked in a bureau, placed where she had always placed them in her lifetime, i.e. on the hearth rug before the dining room fire. March 31. My mother's favorite armchair found upside down in front of the fireplace in room number 4. April 2, 11 p.m. As Mary was stooping to look under the bed for fear of burglars, she was suddenly pushed down and the mattresses and bedclothes were thrown on top of her, her frantic struggles and muffled screams being fortunately overheard by my wife. I was in London at the time. She was immediately extricated, no injury only bad shock. 
April 3, Midnight. The contents of a large chest of drawers in room number 3 suddenly emptied onto the floor, loud crashes in all parts of the house. April 10, 11 p.m. On going up to bed, we find room number 4 aglow with a pale green light and filled with a faint sickly odor which we at once recognized as identical with that smell there at the time of my mother's decease, and which we considered was peculiar to her disease. I must mention that after her death the room had been thoroughly renovated, the old flooring replaced by new, the walls repapered and everywhere well disinfected with the strongest carbolic. My mother had died at 11 p.m. April 12, 13, 14, 15, 11 p.m., the same light and smell. April 20, Joan fell over some large obstacle in the hall, hurting herself badly. She could see nothing, but was half suffocated with a stench similar to the one already described. April 30, 2.20 a.m. Both my wife and I distinctly felt something brush across our faces. We lit a candle and perceived to our horror two long black antennae, like the antenna of a monstrous beetle, waving to and fro on our pillow. We spent the rest of the night on the drawing-room chairs and sofa. May 1. Shut up the house. Note. An attempt to solve the mysteries surrounding these hauntings will appear in a subsequent volume. End of section 14.